This episode is brought to you in part by Thomas Nelson, publisher of But God Can, How to Stop Striving and Live Purposefully and Abundantly, written and narrated by Becky Kaiser and is available everywhere audiobooks are sold. Before we begin today's episode, I want to advise caution. Today's conversation discusses depression, anxiety, and suicidal ideation among children and could be triggering for some listeners. Welcome to the Grace Enough podcast. I am your host, Amber Cullum. This week, I sit down with parent family educator, national speaker, and author, Lori Wildenberg. She opens briefly sharing about her daughter's journey with mental health. And then we dive into some practical helps for parents as they navigate a world where rates of anxiety, depression, and suicide are on the rise. As we begin, I want to encourage you to visit graceenoughpodcast.com. There you can view today's show notes, which includes a breakdown of today's conversation. You can find Grace Enough t-shirts for sale, additional resources that I use and recommend, and a link to my email community. Good morning, Lori, and welcome to the Grace Enough podcast. I am so happy to be with you, Amber. This is going to be a great conversation. I'm really looking forward to talking with you about it. I know a difficult topic, but I do think that it will be an engaging and useful conversation. And so let's not waste any time, um, but introduce yourself, your family, and tell all of our listeners what you do on a day-to-day basis. I'm Lori Wildenberg, and I'll start with the the personal stuff. I'm a mama of four young adults, uh, three of whom are married, and two of those three have kiddos. So I'm a mom, a mother in love, and a Mimi. Yay! (laughs) And I kind of like that Mimi role. That's right. (laughs) That's pretty great. You know, the whole mom journey is awesome from you know, from the beginning to even where I am now. And of course, it's filled with stuff. And some of the stuff that we're going to be talking about today, it's filled with wonderful things. And it's filled with sometimes heartbreaking things, because it's life, you know, it's Mm -hmm. life lived, lived out. Um, And I've been married to my husband while he's my college sweetheart. And we've been married, gosh, um, coming up on almost 40 years. Yay. I love it when I hear that. How can it be? (laughs) Anyway, there's a lot of life that's lived in, in those moments. Um, and we've lived in Minnesota, California, and in Colorado, and we've been in Colorado for about a little over 20 years, I think. So our kids have basically grown up here in Colorado, I would say. Yeah. Is everybody close to you still, all your kids? Well, pretty much uh, three of the four are, and one is living in San Diego, which is actually where she was born. Okay. She and her husband and their their little guy. Oh, um, nice. He's six months old. He's Oh, very, that's very a fun sweet. age, especially yes. when you're Mimi and not mom, because when you're oh. mom, you're really tired. <laughs> oh, and so busy because he learned to crawl and that little guy is fast. So anyway, so that's... Uh, personally. And then professionally, I'm a licensed parent and family educator. I'm an author of six parenting books with the newest one that we'll be talking about today. Uh, Messy Hope, Help Your Child Overcome Anxiety, Depression, or Suicidal Ideation. And I speak nationally. And I also do uh, parent coaching. So so oh, you're and I, busy. Run the, I run the Moms Together group on Facebook and the Facebook community page. So there's always good information and encouragement and all kinds of inspirational type things on both Moms Together on Facebook and on Instagram. So, yeah, yeah. And those are free to join, right? Oh, yes, of course. Yes. I love uh, it. There to bless the moms and to encourage them in their their motherhood, no matter what their stage is in, you know, moms, grandmoms, stepmoms, foster moms, all the people, 
all the people. <laughs> well, you mentioned um, what we're going to talk about today, which is uh, really what your book all is based on is Messy Hope. Uh, we're talking about depression, anxiety, suicidal ideation in our children. And that is very, very personal to you. And so as we begin this conversation on these topics, will you share your journey with that and just a little bit, maybe a few of, I don't want to say highlights, that sounds like they're exciting, but really a few of the details of this journey that you have previously taken and probably are currently on with your daughter. One of our kiddos has struggled probably since I'm going to say middle school, which is really a very typical time for this sort of thing to uh, show itself. Um, struggled with some anxiety or depression, a lot of times those things can go hand in hand. And that has been a struggle. And she, uh, for a period of time, also struggled with an eating disorder, which again, all of that can really tie together. There's a common thread with all of those things. So, Mm. you know, heads up parents, if you're, if your child is struggling in some of those areas, there's a good chance they may struggle in another one. So to be paying attention to that. Mm. And um, just so you know, this, my daughter is, she is like this bright light, right? And the fact that someone who has that sort of personality would struggle with um, depression doesn't seem congruent, right? Mm -hmm. So we really have to have to pay attention because that is who she is. She is this very upbeat, big, fun personality. And yet with that, you can also have the other side of you can get big, sad. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it, highly sensitive people are, are big on both sides of it. And for us to remember that as we, you know, parent our kids. And anyway, so our, our daughter um, had wrestled with some, you know, some depression and some of that kind of thing going through high school. And we did a a little bit of counseling and then um, she, she went off to to college, seemed pretty solid. And then um, I think the intensity with the studies Mm -hmm. and uh, certain friendships um, and just, just the day-to-day pressure. living. Yeah. There's a lot of pressure got to be a little bit too much. Mm. And I, I knew that she was struggling. This was her, it was around the beginning, middle to the beginning of her last year of school. And she had been struggling on and off throughout this time. She was open with me and telling me, and we would talk about it. But, you know, Amber, I didn't understand the depth of it. I knew she was struggling. I didn't realize how big the struggle was. Anyway, I got ready to go and be with her for I was planning on however long she needed me. And the college was about four hours from our home. And I, you know, you just, you know, your kiddo needs you and you're just going to stop everything. Well, what I didn't realize is the night or so before she had actually attempted to take her life and God spared her. And um, anyway, when I, when I got there to her school, her room was in disarray. um, When somebody is going through some really hard things, they, um, they make sort of irrational, illogical decisions. And she was talking about leaving school and commuting four hours. And that would be really eight hours of commuting, right? You know, it didn't make sense, Mm -hmm. right? So I alarm bells were going off. And I prayed, Lord, protect her, which God did. Now, I know other people are in a situation where they've prayed that as well. And that hasn't been the outcome. And, oh, my heart grieves big for someone who's been in that situation. But she was making some very rash, strange decisions. She she quit her job. Hmm. You know, she was like trying to tie up some loose ends, which looking back, I can see it a little more clearly now. But 
um, during that was a, a week or so that I was with her at her campus. And then I brought her back home because we weren't quite comfortable with her being Being at school. Yeah. We could, and we went to the doctor, which was a very good thing because, you know, the doctor got her on this plan of medication and, and uh, talking to her about needing to continue with, you know, some counseling and so forth. So she ended up changing her living situation, which I think was actually very helpful. And then making some of these other adjustments to her life, which were helpful as well. And she did get through that hard time. Mm. And that was her hardest time. And, uh, you know, very hard time for, you know, for a mom, for a dad Mm -hmm. to have your child in such great suffering. Mm -hmm. So of course, her experience is the thing that caused me to want to write a book to help other parents so that they could find find the tools to help their kids to you know tools to help them cope with hard hard things or um, ways to things to avoid doing and saying within the family and many of those have been mistakes I have made and mm-hmm. to try to save someone else from making those mistakes. And this book wasn't a nudge by God until um, it was a few years after my daughter had a few, maybe a couple years after she had graduated. She was in a very good place. She's very healthy now. And she wrote a blog about her experience with depression. And it was two people who would be struggling with depression. Mm. So young people her age. And of course, that was really hard to read, Um, kind of felt sick reading it. And, but I was so proud of her because I know that was healing to her and it was helping somebody else, which is of course, God's economy, right? He takes our hard things and um, has us help somebody else while he even heals us in the process. And so as I was reading that, over a period of a few months, I started thinking, wow, parents need this. Mm-hmm. Parents need to know how to respond when their kid is in a hard place, because this is a hard world. Mm-hmm. And we need to know what we can do to equip and empower our kids. How can we as parents be used by God? So I asked my daughter if she would be okay with me doing this book and if she would also be okay with having her voice in the book. And she was like all for it. Yeah. I am telling you out of the, all the books I've written, this was the scariest one Mm. because I was so afraid that this would spiral her back into that place because she had to revisit some of those emotions that she'd been feeling. And um, I was really scared. But yet God continued to have us push through and she, I check in with her. How are you doing? Are, you know, are you okay with this? Do we need to pull back? You know, how do you feel? How have you been feeling? Talking about these things. And she ended up saying to me, mom, you know, when I, I try to think back, it's even hard for me to relate to that person anymore. And then I, I just like, it was just like, oh, thank you, Jesus. And then I knew it was okay to continue to move forward. But um, I was pretty scared about it, even though, you know, I do believe that God was protecting it and all that my humanness, I was pretty freaked out. And what I hadn't realized is that I needed healing too. Mm. So this, this book really helped writing that it was very helpful to both of us. I think that's the thing, too, is if anybody that is listening who, like you said, didn't get the outcome that you had, or they're the parent who is anxious themselves and is always worrying that they're going to mess up their kids, there is this part, like, did you feel like you ever took it on and took responsibility yourself that ultimately, even though we can do things that can point our kids away from that and mistakes we can avoid, we still can't control it. 
you know, in the sense of you can sometimes take on this guilt that's not yours to bear. And so did you wrestle with that at all? Sort of in more of a sideways way. Like I felt like, you know, some of my responses and my reactions contributed to the the issues. Mm. So I don't think I held the whole thing, but I did hold pieces of it. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, some, it's hard to, to take on what's ours, what we're responsible for and own that and then still not take on what we're not responsible for. You know I mean? Like it's hard to, that's a tension that you have to sit in. That would be really, Mm -hmm. really challenging. Now, perhaps I'm able to say that because our outcome was good. Yeah. If the outcome had been different, Mm. I don't know that I'd be able to say that. I don't know. That's right. Well, we do know that depression and anxiety, I mean, it's on the rise in children. And I mean, even though I know that, like somehow, sometimes it's still even hard to wrap my mind around that because it's just so sad. I mean, it's so sad that that is our reality, but it is, Mm -hmm. and that it's the second leading cause of death in young people. And so what are some of the reasons that you think that's true? Well, let me back up a little bit. And I just want to say when I was researching for the book, oh my goodness, there are five-year-olds on antidepressants or anti-anxiety medication. Five, five-year-olds. And it's like 300%. And I don't even get that because 100% is 100%. So how could it be 300%? But it, it has multiplied. This mental illness is just out of control. One in four kiddos are now going to have a mental health diagnosis. Gosh, how can it be? And in certain states, suicide is actually now the number one cause of death. And Colorado is one of them. Wow. You know, your question, why, how is this going on? Well, I think there's a few things that have contributed to it. Right. There's a lot. And we need to be able to be aware of that. Um, you know, we all, all know that social media is something that can really make things spiral. Um, kids look at everybody's, you know, Instagram or, you know, whatever they're looking at, um, Snapchats and everyone seems to be having the very best, most wonderful, most exciting life. And they're, they're seeing that thinking, well, my life doesn't look like that. And not realizing, well, really, neither does theirs. You know, that's just a slice of it. And I think for parents to not only have the conversation about, you know, they're putting out their highlight reels and, you know, to have those social media conversations and also to lessen um, their ability to, in time on social media, to pay attention. Are they even like addicted to it, to watch for that stuff? And to see what apps they are on, because there's some things and things change all the time. So I could give examples of various apps, but it's going to be different tomorrow. Parents need to be paying attention and to find out what's going on. And so we've got social media. We've got the culture of today, which is so angry. Kids today are are growing up in an angry culture and a culture that has faced um so much tragedy, uh, school shootings, traumatic things where they can't feel safe in normal places like churches, schools, going to the movies. You know, the, yeah. these are things. So there's, there's that. There's terrorism. I mean, they've grown up with 9-11. I know. All right. And all, all of those things. And then we take all that and boom, we've got two years worth of this whole Corona, COVID stuff. Isolation. Boom, boom. Yes, isolation. It has snowballed so big. It's like an avalanche. Yeah, I mean, and I also, in addition to like the social media and really just any kind of digital consumption, um, I look at my my boys who love to play video games. And Mm -hmm. the reality is like, if we didn't keep that monitored, that's what they would do all the time. And so we have to put limits on it because outside play is so important for neuropathway development. Yes. 
It is so important. Yes. Yeah. And making up their own games. And letting them do a few slightly dangerous things. Also good for their neuropathways. (laughs) 100%. Yes. And I'm not saying you should let your kid like run around on a bicycle without a helmet. I'm not saying that. I'm like, but if they jump off the top of a slide that's only like three feet tall or four feet tall, like it's okay. Yes. And let them show you that they're very brave. Yes. You know, yeah, exactly. Yes. We want our kids to be able to take a risk, not a risky risk. That's right. A risk, but a risk. Yes. And that's good for them. And for us to avoid, which kind of leads into the same thing, the the being overly protective Mm -hmm. or overly fearful ourselves, Mm -hmm. you know, allow them this opportunity. It's so it's good for their mental health. It's good for their development. It's important. They need to be able to have a little bit of fear and face that fear so that they know what courage looks like. That's right. Well, and that's one of the things that you write about in Messy Hope that I really enjoy is that you provide parents with a few ways that we actually can provide our kids hope. And, you know, one of those is like, putting them in situations where they can show us they're courageous, that they can show yeah. us they can take a risk and be safe. And again, we're not talking about dangerous risks. We're talking mm-hmm. about age appropriate risks, you know, mm-hmm. jumping on the trampoline. Some people are like, no. And I'm like, well, sometimes that's really, really good. Like let yeah. them do it. Um, mm-hmm. And so what are a few of those things that you give parents that can help build hope in children? Because we want them to not always think, Everyone who gets COVID is going to die. Everyone who goes to the airport is going to blow up. Like every time you go to school, you don't want your kids to constantly feel that. There are actually a lot of things that we can do to help build confidence and hope in our kids so that they are able to cope with things when things go badly. Um, You know, one of the big things that, that people talk about is resiliency. And how do you build resiliency? Well, one way you build it is to allow your kids to fail, allow your kids to take a risk. If it doesn't work out, that's actually a great opportunity for us to help them get some creative thinking on how to do things differently, uh, problem solving, flexible thinking, those sort of abilities to think in a different way Mm-hmm. will help build resiliency and hope in your kids. Now, it, it can't just be about resiliency. Resiliency is super important. And it is one of the cogs to the wheel, right? Yeah. It is one of those things. But also, um, well, you had Sarah Geringer on your, your podcast. I love her. She's a friend of mine. And she talks about, you know, the self-talk. And to be able to memorize scripture so that you can pull that up in the hard times when you're faced with perhaps a self lie that we fall into. I'm so stupid. I, you know, nobody loves me, whatever that, that thing is that we say to ourselves, which we say these things to ourselves a lot. All the time. We need scripture to fight back on that. That's something that parents can build in as they are raising their kids. Now, here, here's the warning, though. You can't throw it out in the middle of the hard stuff because that's going to backfire. Right. Yep. That's going to sound like a platitude. But if you are able to build it in day after day so that they have something to draw on when the going gets tough for them to internalize that, mm-hmm. you know, it. It won't work if it's an external thing, if they're in the middle of the the mess, and that's when you throw out, well, God's got a different plan for you, or, you know, when he closes a door, he opens a window, you know, but these these things we need to avoid, Um, avoid toxic positivity. Now, this was a real surprise to me when I was studying this, because, you know, I tend to be pretty positive, and I, I look at life like that. Usually when someone is leaning toward the negative, I might state the positive. Well, the person who's leaning toward the negative is going to feel unheard. Yep. Totally unheard. So we have to be careful of that. Yeah. I remember um, actually saying that to my husband because I have depression and have 
can look back even not not as much in high school, but definitely in college and see some things really starting at that point, but mm-hmm. definitely after my a second child was born. And I can remember early on learning to like communicate with my husband and saying, when I'm feeling this way, because I'm very much a glass half empty kind of girl. So there's some of that that does have to be changed. But it's like you said, when I say something off the wall and he responds with something positive, I finally was able to say, you know, that really doesn't make me feel better. That just makes me feel like you don't care. <laughs> yeah, you feel like they don't care. They don't hear. Mm-hmm. And then the the other thing is and that they want you, you to shut to, up. Well, or that you have to convince them that it is this bad. So you end up arguing for the negativity, which yeah. is connecting more stuff in your brain, which you're trying to avoid. Yeah. So yeah, for all those reasons. So toxic positivity, that's a real thing. And it leads to someone, as you were saying, Amber, being, you know, feeling dismissed. And I love it that you brought up that glass half full thing. Yeah. So I'm in the middle right now of teaching um, a class at a church, a, a series of workshops on this very topic. And um, I had found this really cool example, and I wish I could credit whoever came up with this, but I, I don't know who it is. It's not me, but I, I had heard this, and this is so awesome. So here's, here's the story. There was a professor standing in front of his class, and he was holding a clear glass, and the glass was, you know, filled halfway. Mm-hmm. And he said, what do you think I'm going to ask you? And so the class said, is it half full or half empty, right? And he said, no. He goes, I'm going to ask you, how heavy do you think this class is? They Hmm. were perplexed. Like, what do you mean? And he said, it's about perspective. Hmm. How long am I going to hold this glass will determine the heaviness of it. How am I going to hold the glass determines the heaviness of it. And perspective is critical, not just the half full, half empty, but the perspective of the details within that. Mm. And I thought that was such an amazing illustration of how we can look at things rather than just looking at it good or bad, positive or negative. So what are the details regarding that? And then we can unpack it a little bit more. Yeah, well, and I liked what you said about one of the hope building um, tools you can do with your kids. I can't remember exactly what it was, but I've been doing it since I read it, which is really perspective training. And so like I now am someone who practices daily gratitude because literally that was something my husband helped me begin Mm -hmm. doing. And it just, it did change my life. Like literally just thanking God for things every single day. And so I ask my children to also give thanks. But now what I've started doing is if we're like out, cause I'm pretty, uh, I like to point out things when we're in nature and be like, oh my gosh, look at that amazing tree. Like it's so red and all these things. But since I read um, in Messy Hope, I've really been trying to point out like, wow, look at those clouds. Like God could have just made those clouds plain white, but instead look at how the sun's shining behind them and they kind of look gray over here. And then because that it's true, build those habits into your kids and into yourself now so that when you're in a place of desperation, that's what you pull from. That's what habits are. Yes. Perspective is so good to teach and it's so not good in the moment. (laughs) Right. You want them to draw from that out of an overflow, not for a um, motto or a band-aid. Right. Exactly. Yes. That's so good. Yeah. In fact, you know, you're quoted in my book. Here's, here's what I'm going to read it too. Okay. Mm -hmm. All right. So, okay. Audience, this is what Amber says very wisely here. She's, she's quoting her son. All right. I haven't been happy for a while and I don't know why I just feel angry on the inside for no reason. So many kids are there, right? So many. We talked and processed a lot of his emotions last week. He took walks outside. There's the being outside in nature to calm down. And that's a really actually side note, great coping mechanism. Mm -hmm. He read quietly in his bed. Okay. Kind of got centered and he yelled just to let it out. 
as my son moves into his preteen years, we are having more conversations about hormone changes and taking thoughts captive. This is just, this is so good. And stopping the runway, the runaway guilt train over normal emotions. We are also saying, I'm sorry. And remembering there is grace and forgiveness for our mistakes. When I contacted you on Instagram, I, I was like that, you know, that's just really great. You are a good mom. You had said that you're, you were working a lot on the coping part and it doesn't come naturally to any of us. And that's so true. And, uh, but in some ways the overexpression makes it easier to address versus one of my other kids who simply stuffs everything. So yeah, the fact that your child, he showed so much trust in you to be able to communicate that that's huge. And it was his personality. And for us as parents to help our kids identify those emotions, this is another good skill to keep, to teach your kids. Okay. Anger, anger is a lot of things, right? Mm -hmm. But it's a secondary emotion. It comes from a primary emotion. Could it be frustration that's causing the anger? Could it be embarrassment? Mm. Could it be irritation, annoyance, agitation? What's fueling the anger? Start by labeling feelings. And once our kiddos and even us, once we can label those feelings, oh my goodness, then our brain can start making sense of what's going on. We put it in the right compartment. It's not like a a mess of spaghetti noodles anymore. We've got it in its right compartment. And now problem solving can happen. And when we can problem solve, that is something that is a coping skill and it's an empowering action and it gives us forward focus. Yeah, it takes time. I think that's the one of the biggest obstacles for me as a mom is the time that it takes to actually help my children process through and identify what the emotion is because like you've got a million things going on, right? And it's so much easier to just be like, you need to go to your room because you're making me crazy right now. Or get over it. Yes. And it's I mean, not, I've been guilty of both. Bad. Oh, yeah. So me too. Every, every one of us. And that, you know, and that's why we can always up our game, right? Mm-hmm. And we don't want to be dismissive. We want to be an emotionally safe place, have an emotionally safe home for our kids to express what they're feeling so that we can help them move from that feeling to, okay, now what? If you're listening to Grace Enough, I have a feeling you have a desire to memorize scripture. Me too. But I struggled with daily practice until I discovered Dwell Differently. Dwell helps you memorize one Bible verse each month by taking the first letter of every word in a verse, stringing them together in a cool design, and providing the design as a temporary tattoo, on a key tag, and on a 4x5 card. Everywhere you go, you're reminded of the verse you're memorizing. Last month, the middle school small group I co-lead applied the 2 Corinthians 4.16 tattoo to our forearms. We spent time memorizing it, and at the end of our next gathering, one of the girls, Kaya, came up to me and said, I memorized 2 Corinthians 4.16, and went on to recite the verse. How awesome is that? The best part is people are always asking what your tattoo means. It's an easy way to share your faith and memorize scripture alone, with friends, or with family of all ages. Every month, you get a kit in the mail. And if you set up an individual or family membership between now and March 31st, 2022, you will receive 25% off your first month. Just use the code GRACEENOUGH at checkout. And if you want to dig a little deeper, follow Dwell Differently on Instagram at Dwell Differently, where they provide devotionals for each month's verse. Begin memorizing scripture today with help from Dwell Differently. Visit dwelldifferently.com to receive your kit today. In the book, like Hope Killers is probably one of my favorite chapters. And you've shared a little bit about how we as parents 
can be, you know, that hope killer in our children's lives. And um, I mean, so guilty here, like Mm -hmm. the number, and I I just want to say to parents, if you do that, please just go back and apologize because apologies will cover a multitude of sin. If you say you're sorry, name what you did and ask for forgiveness, that goes a long way, but don't ignore it and just move on. Okay, moving on. (laughs) (laughs) That's like one of my huge things because I didn't receive that as a child. And I see now how much more quickly my kids can move on if I just admit where I'm wrong. But hope, hope killers, what are some of the things that we do? And sometimes it's just in our nature. I mean, one of them is obviously get get over it. (laughs) Yes. You know, well, that's the being dismissive, you know, kind of a thing. Sometimes we have really good intentions and we aren't meaning to be a hope killer, but the result actually is. Mm -hmm. Uh, One example of that is like comparison in the family. That's, that's a big one. And it is, we we sometimes think, well, I'm going to use this as a motivating factor. Mm -hmm. Okay. So here, as I told you, you know, my daughter who wrestled with some of these things, she had an eating disorder and I didn't help her out in the sense that in the way she needed help. Okay. Mm -hmm. So my help started to look like, well, you know, all you have to do is eat healthy and exercise just like your sister. Mm. Oh my gosh. Someone hit me upside the head. I can't believe I said that. And so by saying that not only did I set them up for competition because of my comparison, I almost put a barrier between two sisters. Yeah. Why would I do that? I was thinking it was helpful. It was, that mm-hmm. wasn't helpful. Instead, I should have noticed, even though she was a healthy person and she didn't need to be like ultra skinny and she was going through puberty where girls are a little thicker. Instead, I should have said, I can see you're worried about this. Let's talk about it. Mm. And then once we did that, let's come up with a plan for meals. You know, let, let's come up with a plan that you think is going to be helpful. But I skipped time, in the right? rush. Right. All right. Let's just I take do it. care of this. Be healthy. Exercise. Boom. You're done. OK, solve that problem. On to the next thing. Yes. Right. <sighs> but <So> no, <laughs> <laughs> we I needed to do something very different. And I didn't. And yeah. I contributed to that whole cycle. Yeah. So do you have a few more of the hope killers? And then I want people, you know, make sure you, you get the book because it really was helpful for me. I think conditional love um, Mm. is a huge hope killer. And, and sometimes we don't even realize that we as parents are doing it. Right. So what conditional love can look like is, okay, you behave badly. So you don't deserve a birthday party we're going to have a birthday party or we're going to go out and do this thing that we've been looking forward to. But, you know, you, you're doing A, B, or C. Now there's a place for natural consequences for Mm -hmm. sure. There's a place for punishment for sure. But if everything hinges on their behavior and quote unquote being good, Mm -hmm. if everything hinges on that, then that is conditional love. Mm. And we need to be careful. I, I remember my son said to me, and I, I don't think I have this in messy hope. I think I have it in the messy life of parenting. Um, he said to me at one point when he was probably, gosh, I'm going to say maybe first or second grade. He said, so mom, if I got arrested, you wouldn't love me anymore, would you? Now, okay, first of all, a smart mom would have maybe asked a couple questions. <laughs> <laughs> didn't think of that. Uh, I was just like, whoa, where would he get that? And I said, mm -hmm. well, I would love you no matter what. I wouldn't be happy with what you did, but I would love you no matter what. And that, that moment was a game changer for me as far Mm -hmm. as parenting, that my kids needed to hear that on a regular basis, that they were loved because of who Mm -hmm. they are, not for what they do. Mm -hmm. That's a really good reminder too, because like I said, we, we can slide into that just because we go into, you know, kind of like management mode, right? Like we're just trying to manage the house and we forget about the heart of the child. And I know um, 
When I did Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, a course by Pete Scazzaro, that was one of the underlying like lies I had believed for a long time was if I do X, then I can lose your love. And I started ascribing that to God and, you know, to my husband and people in my life. My gosh, yeah. And a lot of that just came some from mess. I mean, some from my own personality, but also from some messaging that I received growing up. Sure. Yeah. But yeah, so you also write The War Within. And I want to just mention kind of like your subtitles. And if you'll share the first couple of things that come to your mind, because what you're talking about is the way that we kind of rage on the inside of our own brain, kind of that back and forth, you know, what we were talking about earlier, what we speak over ourselves. So when I say these subtitles, if you'll just share maybe um, the first couple of things that come to your mind, you start with wear the mask. Kids that are struggling or individuals who are struggling with mental health, often they don't want to make someone uncomfortable with their struggle. So they will put the mask on like Robin Williams, Mm -hmm. right? They're going to look like everything's okay when really there's hard things going on. And as parents, what we can do is there's a question we can ask. We can say, how are you doing today? Mm. to specifically say today, because that lets them know that you really want to know and you are ready to hear it. And it takes the ownership of that off of them to communicate it to you. That feels like a pretty big responsibility for a young person to say, hey, I'm really struggling. Mm. I like that. Okay. What about fake book? Well, we, we did touch on that a little bit, right? So the whole social media thing, everybody wants everybody else to think they've got a perfect life. And so that's what they put out there, perfect and interesting. And that causes a lot of issues for those who are observing that without the background information of, well, they probably struggle with this and that as well. And um, to get real, to, to be real with our kids and to speak truth and facts so that they get rid of that, I would say, illusion. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we're, we're moving into a time where generationally, like even me, you know, I can be a part of the fake book, quote unquote, mm-hmm. meaning, I mean, a lot of my life also is online because yes. of what I do. And just this morning, I was having a conversation with a friend and she was like, wow, you got this person. And I said, yeah, yeah, yeah. But don't, it's real easy to look at that post on Instagram and think, oh my gosh, she's killing it. And then in reality, my numbers aren't going up in the podcast, you know? So sometimes (laughs) you're like putting something out there and you don't even realize that it's not the story that it's telling that doesn't show step by step. And that's where I think we have to help our kids understand that sometimes people are putting stuff out there and they're not even trying to be fake. It's just, you can't show every step of every process of every photo. So we have to live in reality. Yes, that's exactly right. Yeah. Okay. Tender hearts. Oh, this is if you have a highly sensitive kiddo, they are going to respond in a highly sensitive way. They will take on other people's emotions their, their emotions are going to be bigger than life. And we have to help them separate their emotions from other people's emotions. And I've got like a self-assessment that you can do in the book, which, you know, we don't have time to go through now, but it would help you identify if your kiddo is one of those kids. Mm -hmm. Yes. Oh, and I know those kids. We do say in our family, I say in our family, um, we have really big feelings. We have big, loving, joyful feelings, and we have big, angry, and we have big, sad feelings. And so we are a family that feels really, really big. (laughs) Yes. Yes. But like you said in your quote that you're able to identify it more quickly. So that's a real positive. <laughs> that's right. Woo, girl. And I mean, I got to start with me. My husband's <laughs> the only one that doesn't feel near as large as, as oh, the rest of gosh. us do. <laughs> yes. Okay. Destructive doubt. So here's what we can do. We need to acknowledge our kiddos feelings 
and we've got to guide them toward figuring out a solution. And this, you know, as we had kind of mentioned, once they can get to this place, that is going to build confidence. That's going to get rid of some of that self-doubt that they might have, that they can't do something. It's really important for our kids to be the one to, to make that plan, to come up with the plan. We can help guide, but to take it over isn't going to be helpful because it's not going to be what they need. Mm. Okay. Um, rejection stings. Ah, uh, that's the worst, isn't it? Yeah. For and all of us. Yeah. You know, rejection and isolation, all these things are things to really pay attention to as parents. I mean, that's a basic need that we need to be loved. And so it's important for our kids to be able to, in the rejection, to be able to separate the feelings from the facts, because sometimes it isn't rejection at all. So we can view certain things in a particular way and, and take it on ourselves. Like, let's say somebody doesn't answer a call. I could think, well, they're not answering the phone call because they saw it was me. Mm -hmm. Right. So we've got to start working with the facts. Okay. The fact is they didn't answer the call. That's right. The feeling is that makes me feel rejected, but could it be? So you could always say, could the truth be, could it be that their phone wasn't charged? Their phone wasn't with them. They were on another call. They didn't have time to talk. It was a you know bad situation. Yeah. So to talk about the fact, separate the fact from the feeling and then say, could it be mm. now? other rejection that is actually real where mm -hmm. you're really being rejected that is a really hard thing and sadly this is something that as humans we have we do have to deal with some yeah. of these things so hopefully you can draw up upon some of the things that we had talked about before mm -hmm. where um, messages that we can continue to give our kids that are important you know, you are loved and lovable, you are capable, you are born on purpose for a purpose. But yeah, rejection is the basis for a lot of stuff. And we need to be able to identify it and speak to that mm -hmm. and separate what's real rejection from what is perhaps in our own mind, our way that we're perceiving it. And it's really not true. Yeah, that one is a really, really tough one. So I appreciate those. Okay, back talk. Oh, gosh. How many times do we say all the nasty stuff to ourselves, right? And so it's important for us, again, to be able to speak truth to ourselves and change that up. Um, I've been, I was working with a client, or I am working with a client who has a lot of self talk that is very negative. And I had her write down the gifts and skills that God has given her. And, it, and this was a hard exercise for her and personality traits that are really gifts that are important. And we were able to come up with a list together. I had to actually help her with most of it because it was really hard for her. Mm -hmm. And when we came up with the list, I told her to put it on her mirror and to say, thank you, God for creating me. And then you have made me and then to list off these things without going. Yeah, but I also have this right mm -hmm. to to stick to how are we going to talk to ourselves? How are we going to remember that gratitude that you also spoke about? Because, um, you know, really, when we increase remembering who God is and who God created us to be and who we are in his image, and we can throw that gratitude in that starts changing our brain. Well, and I love that you also wrote in that section, you said, you know, this is not a self boasting. This is no. a God bragging, like God yes. has given each one of us gifts. And we are so quick to criticize. I'm talking to myself. We're quick to criticize ourselves. And we're quick to criticize um, others. And yeah. so it is hard because we have not practiced, right? Like habits and practices, whatever we practice is what comes to fruition. Yes, exactly. Okay, let's end with stabbing pain. 
when you get hit with the knife, it hurts, right? It hurts. Mm -hmm. And we have to acknowledge that hurt before we can fix it. We have to know that the pain is there and where the pain is. Mm -hmm. And so for our kids, rather than trying to gloss over whatever their pain is, allow them to grieve. And particularly when it comes to rejection, they need mm -hmm. time to be able to process that and to grieve it, not to sit in it, but to have some time with it. Mm -hmm. um, I can think of a time where one of my kids was interviewing for um, jobs post-college and it had come down to two jobs that she was really interested in. And she heard back from one, which was, would have been her second choice. She heard back from that one right away, got a job offer, hadn't heard from the one that was her first choice. She talked all about it with her dad and I, and she decided that she was going to go ahead and sign that, sign the contract for the one that she heard from. And so she signed it. And then lo and behold, a couple of days later, she got an offer from her first choice and she was so upset. And thankfully I handled this well, because I could have said, you know, I mean, it, it's in me to say, well, you know, oh, I think that's okay. You know, God has this for you. He shut that door. This you've done the right thing. You know, I, I could have said those things and not listen to her sadness over not getting the first job that she thought she wanted. So, and thankfully God had me say this, cause this isn't my normal way I'm learning. God had me say, I can see why you're sad. I would feel sad too. And you know what? You go ahead and grieve that. It feels like a loss. Mm -hmm. And then I did say, but don't sit in it. Mm. She started working at this particular job. And then at about a couple months after she'd been in this job for a while, she called up and she said, mom, I have to tell you, I am so glad I took this job. This was the right job for me. Mm. Now, had I given her that platitude, she wouldn't have had the opportunity to have this revelation. And the revelation didn't occur right away. It occurred over a period of time. Yeah. So that's important for us to remember too. Our kids are not, even though it's uncomfortable for us to hear them be sad, the revelation of how God is moving in that isn't going to occur typically immediately. It's going mm. to take a little time. Yeah. So to be patient with that. Whew. Also hard. <laughs> yes. But possible. Okay. Well, as, as we kind of start closing out here, um, you know, we have talked about how throwing out those Bible verses, the mottos, all of that during a moment of your, your kids being in an anxious moment or being at a place of feeling really, really depressed or having a suicidal ideation is not a good decision. And so talk about that a little bit and maybe what are some better ways in those moments to really help our kids process through it? Yes. And, and there might be some kids that that's the thing that's going to help them. During my research for the book and my daughter's experience, I would say that um, that typically doesn't help. In the moment, you know, it's something that you build up over time, but it doesn't help in the moment to throw that out there. And I know I don't like that if I'm going through a hard time and somebody throws a Bible verse at me, I actually find that sort of annoying. Mm -hmm. So <clears throat> that isn't something that is necessarily helpful. Typically, what I have found through research and through my daughter's experience is the physically being there is the biggest thing. Mm -hmm. And if you can't physically be there, calling regularly to check in asking, how are you doing today? Mm. And here's the hard thing, asking some hard questions when they're really in a hard space. Have mm. you considered taking your life? I mean, ask that question so that that takes the responsibility off of the person and they know that you can handle the answer because you've asked the question. And it's a terrible question to ask but so much better to ask the question. And, and sometimes we fear asking it because we think that's going to give someone an idea. Well, if we have the idea to ask the question, chances are pretty good they've already had that idea. Yeah. And it won't push them to doing it. What it will do is alert you to the fact that 
there's something big going on and help is needed. Mm-hmm. Right. And to move on that. And that's very important. So to be there, to ask the hard questions, those are the, the really big things to, to listen and to, to check in regularly. Well, let's close with, if there's a parent who is listening and they're at this place where they, they just feel kind of hopeless themselves and how to really reach out to their child, what encouragement would you give them? Well, I would say that God has created you perfectly to be your kiddo's perfect parent, not perfect, perfectly created to be that child's parent, right? We're not perfect. Mm -hmm. And we need to show our kids that we are there to help them and that God is also their helper and to be brave and to move forward, to ask the hard questions, to seek help. There's no shame in seeking help. Mm -hmm. And you know what? I think our kids also need to know, and we need to know, forget this, um, don't survive, thrive. I'm going to tell you surviving is victory. Mm. We can't always move into this thriving place. Mm -mm. Sometimes it is flat out just about surviving and surviving is victory. And our kids have so far, and so have we at this point, made it through 100% of our hard days. And we can do it. And we can be brave and enter into those hard conversations. We need to do that. Yeah. Yeah, we have to communicate. I mean, if that is one thing I could say. Communicate and connect. Ask questions. Like, even if they're weird. My kids sometimes are like, are we going to do this again? Where like the, you know, conversation starters around the table. And I'm yes. like, yep, yep. We're doing it again. Yes. Cause <laughs> oh, it gives you a I'm great like... insight into them and to, into where they are. And here are a couple other questions we can ask. Cause some kids don't want to admit that they have anxiety or an- mm. anxious moments. One good question to ask if you're concerned that your child has some anxiety is to ask, about stress, like stress doesn't sound as bad as anxiety. And it sort of seems like almost a badge of honor if you're stressed out, right? So you can say, you know, on a scale of one to 10 regarding your stress level, you know, how are you doing? What causes you the most stress in your life? So that way you can kind of get to the answer, but coming at it a little sideways. Mm -hmm. Or again, you know, I think of Jesus asking, his um, disciples, who do people say that I am? Like he first came in on it sideways before he came in directly before he asked, who do you say, who do you I, say am? I am? Yeah. Yeah. So first he said, who do people say I am? So you can come in. Do you know any kids that are experiencing depression or anxiety in your class? You know, you can ask that yeah. question and then you can say, well, have you ever had those feelings? Because that, that opens the door and it feels a little more normal. Mm-hmm. And, and it is normal to go through stuff. But what isn't normal and um, oh, it was the last podcast you had, Maddie, what was oh, it? Maddie Selectman. Maddie, yes, Maddie. And how you could tell when I listened to her that she did not go through depression when she lost her husband. Yeah. She grieved, but she was also able to find joy in the grief and if your kids are able to still laugh in the middle of grief, then they're okay. But if they can't get out of that or they're flatlining their emotions, they are not okay. Mm. Um, if you can't find joy in anything and the emotions are starting to get kind of flatlined, that is a huge red flag and to seek help. Ooh, because grief is, it's hard, but if it, if our kids can know that it is, temporary, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Well, Lori, I am really grateful for this conversation. If someone maybe has questions for you, um, you know, wants to connect with you and see more of your books, where can they find you? Sure. They can go to my website, Lori Wildenberg, L-O-R-I-W-I-L-D-E-N-B-E-R-G.com. And uh, you can find my books wherever, but uh, probably the easiest place, you know, I know people like to go to Amazon a lot. Um, Or you can go to my publishers, you can go to newhopepublishers.com and you can find three of my six books there, um, all the all the messy books, messy journey, messy hope and messy life of parenting. So 
Awesome. Well, thanks so much. And also I should let people know about the moms together. Uh, If you're a mom and you want encouragement and to be equipped and uh, faith-based inspirational stuff, uh, find us at Moms Together. Awesome. Thanks so much, Lori, for your time and um, just for speaking to us on a difficult topic. I hope today's conversation has you thinking of different ways to engage your children or grandchildren regarding their mental health. I do recommend purchasing Lori's book as it has already been a useful tool in my parenting journey. You can find it linked along with quotes from today's conversation at graceenoughpodcast.com. As I mentioned earlier, there are other resources there along with Grace Enough merchandise, a link to join my email community, and more. Thank you for listening to the Grace Enough Podcast. Tune in next time.